part. Are you doing your part? And uh, when Daddy said it's a wise, it's a wise man that that saves souls or that leads souls to the Lord, when he brought that scripture forth, he was bringing you the heart of the Father, because that is the heart of the Father to see souls coming into the kingdom. And you can do all the other stuff as good as you want to, but if you don't bring souls into the kingdom, then you're not bearing fruit. Not the type of fruit that God wants. Now there's some things that have to be done once people come into the kingdom. So we want to be sure and do that. I told you also last week, just in summer, or two weeks ago in summary, that some of our foundation had a crack in it. And so we've had to rip up some of the foundation and relay that foundation. Part of what you saw today is a relaying of that foundation. You know, I didn't just ask Paul and Rodney to come up here because I like Paul and Rodney. I, I love them very, very much, and I, I think they're, they're great men of God. But I asked them because it was something that was prophesied over this church over 20 years ago. It's not something brand new. And so I want to be sure that we relay the, relay the foundation. There's a call on men in this church to lead in worship. You see, it was the men in the Old Testament and in the New Testament that led worship. It wasn't the women. And what we've done is we've, we've relegated worship to women. And when you relegate worship to women, you miss the mark of Jesus Christ. And so we want to move into that. That doesn't mean you have to wave a flag every time, uh, because I know that some people get embarrassed about flags. <clears throat> Pride. No, no, excuse me. Uh, I know that some people get, get embarrassed about something like that, but you see, what I am saying is, if you're not waving an outward flag, you need to be waving an inward flag. You need to be raising your hands. The Bible talks about wave offerings and it talks about all these other offerings. And I'm telling you, what I'm saying to us as men, men get passionate. How many know men get passionate? How many know, when David made that comment today, I'm going to beat him. I'm going to beat him. That's, that's your goal. You're going to beat him, aren't you? You're passionate about that, aren't you? You're going to make that happen, aren't you? And you're still going to love him too, aren't you? <laughs> you didn't see him when he went. <laughs> okay. Men get passionate. Man, we get passionate about football. Uh, you know, we're like women in, in the fact that we can get passionate about stuff. It's just different stuff that we get passionate about. And so we want to be passionate about Jesus, and we want to let that passion begin to break forth and show. One of the things that happened in our history is we, we began to move from being church-minded or church-centric into being kingdom-minded. Now, people don't understand that, particularly is, it, is that a major shift and let me answer that question just this way. Yes, it's a major shift. Okay, because most of the time when, when a church begins to evaluate the programs that it has and things that are doing, most of what that is all about is about church growth within that contained group. How can I make my church bigger? You understand what I'm saying? And yet in the kingdom, that is not the primary thing. It's how can I make the kingdom bigger? I told a story one time about a friend of mine who runs a mega church, and he did an Easter celebration, and he used the Gwinnett uh, Arena to do that, had over 20,000 people show up, and out of that 20,000, he had 2,000 professions of faith. And I said, are you going to do it again? He said, I won't ever do it again. I said, really? He said, nope, won't ever do it again. I said, why? He said, it added nothing to my church. Now, I'm not going to condemn him because he does work all over the world and he ministers all over the world and he's touching lives all over the world. But that is a church-minded 
way of looking at things. And we don't, we don't, I'm not going to judge or condemn. But that's not what God had in store for us. We are kingdom-minded. Let me just run down just a little bit uh, about what the difference is. I'm not going to go into all of them. I can preach sermons on this. But one of the things that happens in a church-minded or a, 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 the difference between a church-minded and a kingdom-minded church is in a church-minded church, Christians go to church. In a kingdom church, the people are the church. Okay, major difference. In a, in a church-minded church, they focus most of their energy into the Sunday experience in a building. The kingdom-centered church equips believers for Monday to Friday worship. Church, uh, the centered, uh, church-centered church, only the professional clergy are ministers. In the kingdom-centered church, all believers are equipped to minister for God. Hallelujah. Amen. In the, in the church-centered church, uh, potential leaders are equipped to preach in a building. The kingdom-centered church equips people to lead in the marketplace. Are you getting anything out of this? In the church-centered church, Jesus is only the Savior of the sheep. In the kingdom-centered church, Jesus is also the King of kings over all nations. In the church-centered church, the Bible is a book about escaping the earth. In the kingdom-centered church, the Bible is about subduing the earth. Amen? So we are a kingdom-minded church. Turn to your neighbor and say, we kingdom-minded. You know what that means? You are the church. So point to the person next to him and say, you are the church. Amen. And that's what we want to see. And so that is part of the DNA of this church. Now, when you take that on as part of the DNA of your church, one of the things that's going to happen to you is there are going to be people that come in and they're going to worship with you and they're going to fellowship with you and then they're going to be sent out. Okay? Because everybody's not going to stay. And so part of the DNA of this church is to bring people in. Some need healing. Some need to be, some need to be uh, just love. Some need to have a place of safety for whatever reason. And then the Lord says, all right, now it's time for you to get up and it's time for you to go out and do what God has called you to do. And, and that's hard. I want you to know for a pastor, that's very hard to do. Because pastors, once you get people, they want, you want to hold on to people. You know, Joni will tell you, she's seen me in distress because people were leaving and different things were happening. And I'm going, God, I can't stand this. I can't stand this. I can't stand this. And it just ripping my heart out because they're leaving. And then you know what God told me one day? He said, they're not your people. He said, they're my people. <laughs> Amen. 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 I said, okay, God. Okay, God, I can handle that. They're your people. You're going to take care of them. And so we want, we want to move in that area, in that arena, is to be kingdom-minded in everything that we say and everything that we do. That's why we allow other churches to come in. That's why we allow to do a lot of things that we do is because we believe in kingdom. We are not in competition with other churches. That, that's, not our, that's not our doing. I never will forget, I've been preaching up on the square one time, and I said, man, if, if you've got friends and they don't want to come to this church and need to take them to another church, go ahead and go with them and stay with them and make sure they get planted. Man, three of my best members left and did that. I said, wow. Lord, do you really want me to preach that joint? <laughs> I mean, these people do that stuff, Lord. This is not playing a game. It sounds all holy, but they start doing that stuff kingdom minded. And so out of this kingdom, what happened was we developed the four banners. And, and this is the things that I shared with you. And if you didn't get the, if you hadn't gotten the teaching, I think we've got it on a, a podcast or on our website. You can go and pick it up. But I talked about how that the four banner themes came into place, which is worship, 
which became the first priority in loving Jesus. Intercession, which quickly became part of the DNA. He said, we'll be a house of prayer. We'll be a house of worship. The prophetic almost came simultaneously with intercession. I'm not sure which one came first, but they came together. And finally, the compassion banner. It's interesting about the compassion banner. And because the Lord told us to be a hospital. Um, Lorraine called me this week and gave me a word, and it was a warning. And part of the warning came in the fact that you can't turn your back on the people that are hurting and in need. Uh, I can't quote it to you. I do have it on my phone, but I left my phone. But we've been, we've been told that don't get focused on, on things that are, not un, that are things that are not necessary. And people that are hurting are necessary. Most people think that Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed because of homosexuality. But if you'll read further into the prophets, they will tell you that they were destroyed because they neglected the poor. They neglected the poor. One of the things that happens when immorality comes in and begins to settle in in your heart and in your home is you begin to quit focusing on the poor and all you're focusing on is your own self-pleasure. And so self-pleasure then becomes the center of your universe rather than Christ being at the center of it. Am I making any sense to you this morning? Okay. And so, so we need to understand that God is very, very uh, focused on compassion. When you want to see signs, wonders, and miracles, start working with the poor. Start working with the poor. You know, we, we need poor people. We need rich people, but we need poor people. Okay, and, and I'm saying that I'm ringing just a little bit up here in one of the monitors or something. I, I'm not focusing on I'm just saying that there are people. I look out here and I, there you go, thank you. I look out here and I, I see people walking up and down the street. And, and you just don't know. Man, he was pouring down rain, and it was cold the other day, and a guy out there barefooted and no jacket. So, of course, Johnny made fun of me because I passed one that was on a crutch and only had one leg, and I just passed him by. <laughs> so I'm not condemning you, okay? I, w- I want you to know I'm not going to condemn you for what, for what happened. I just want you to understand that, that we are supposed to have compassion, and we're supposed to let the Lord lead us in that. Go back and study about every time that Jesus was moved with compassion. It wasn't always. It wasn't like he, he, he prayed for everybody that was everywhere he walked. He prayed to those that came to him, but he also had times when he would go to them because of compassion, the compassion of the Father. And so I, I'll preach more on compassion, but I want to go back more into, the, into a little bit more of the prophetic aspect of the church. Uh, so once the prophetic began to move, we hadn't been schooled very much in the prophetic. And I'd been part of the charismatic charismania. And parking lot and garage prophecy was a mainstay of the charismatic movement. Now, if you don't know what parking lot prophecy is, it's when you can get somebody off to the side and you begin to speak over them without having any witness or any confirmation to what you're saying. And you begin to do it, and many times it's directive in nature, parking lot prophecy is, and it is manipulative. And so we watched as, as churches and homes and different people got destroyed because there were no boundaries established over prophetic ministry. Jesus set us boundaries over the prophetic ministry and he meant for us to walk in those boundaries. And so because I had seen that, I knew that was not something that I wanted to happen in our church. I wanted the, pro- the prophetic but I didn't want all the mess that went with it. Now, not that you can get along without it. 
the Proverbs tells us, he said, where there's no ox in the stall, you have a clean stall. But when there's an ox in the stall, you've got a mess to clean up. But when there's no ox in the stall, there's no power. I'd rather have to clean up the poop than have no power. Amen? Amen. And so, so the, the prophetic came, and uh, it's okay, I thought you fell. I don't mind. <laughs> And when the prophetic came in, we realized that we needed to get some help and we needed to get some direction. And so uh, Joni and I and a couple of others, we went to uh, South Carolina and we went to Morningstar. Some of you have heard of Morningstar. And we met a man named Steve Thompson. And Steve Thompson began to give us some direction and some help. Now, Steve has since left Morningstar. He's no longer with them. But he began to help us. He came down and he ministered a few times with us. And uh, just very, very powerful. And began to help us set boundaries for what was going on in our prophetic move. And so we got excited about what he was doing. And then we hooked up with a guy out of IHOP named Kirk Bennett. Now, Kirk was just a real different person. But Kirk was one of those people that when you go into covenant with him, you're, he's in covenant with you. Now, I, haven't, I haven't talked to Kirk very much in the last couple of years, but I promise you if I called Kirk Bennett up today and said, Kirk, I need for you to come, he'd get on an airplane and he'd come to help us. We've seen him do it over and over and over again. We've seen him come and help and bring peace to this body. And so when Kirk was here, one of the things that happened was he brought a team with him and that team went in and they began to pray over this church. And as they began to pray over this church, they had this word about going through this wilderness experience and coming out on the other side of this wilderness experience and the, the glory that was going to be associated with coming out of this wilderness experience. And man, our whole church was so excited about it, we couldn't understand it. And Kirk called me by the side and he said, what are y'all so excited about? I said, man, you said the glory of God was going to come. He said, you missed the first part of that. He said, my whole team was weeping profusely they could not stop weeping because the wilderness experience was going to be a very difficult, difficult time in this church. But that you would get through that difficult time and there's glory on the other side of wilderness. Amen? Amen. And so we just said, okay, great, smile. Said, Let's go, man. We'll go through it if that's what we need. I never will forget, we were singing one night in worship. And, and I believe what you sing is what you pray and what you believe. And if you don't believe it, don't sing it. That's okay. But I'm sitting there and I am singing and I'm saying, let your winds blow comes right out of the Song of Solomon. And out of the Song of Solomon, it said, let the, let the north winds blow and let the south winds blow. Now, the south winds are the pleasant blessings of God that blow over you. But the north winds are the harsh, bitter winds that come. And I said, Lord, let the winds blow. I don't care. Let them go. I'm ready. I'm yours. I believe in you. And God released the north wind. And I said, God, do you hate me? The north winds are harsh. Y'all think it's cold today. You need to be in the north winds of the move of God when he's shaking what's going on inside of you and revealing the truth of who you really are. Aren't you glad you came today? Amen. So he began to do that. And I said, Lord, I give you this promise. I will never sing that song and I will never pray that prayer again. And you can ask Sue, or you can ask Johnny, I don't sing that song. Because when I asked God to do it, he took me at my word and he didn't know. I'm thankful for it now. I, I really am thankful that we went through what we went through. But it was painful. And the church went through a, a painful, painful, painful season. 
And as a pastor, that's a very difficult thing to watch and to see as that happens as you begin to pass through. But we did pass through and God brought us through. In the midst of that, there was another man that came named Jack Taylor. Anybody here know Jack Taylor? Jack Taylor had an amazing revival that took place in the 60s. And he began to share with us some of the things that happened at his Baptist church. Now you can imagine how excited the Baptists were in the 60s about the Holy Spirit moving in his church. It didn't take long until he was no longer a Baptist minister. He was just a minister of the gospel. But he began to tell us about different things. One of the funny things that he told us, funniest things that he told us, he said there was a the water line busted. And there was a, a Mexican crew that came to repair the water line. And he said the only one that could speak English was the supervisor. And so he said they were down in the ditch. And he said, I walked over there to talk to them. And he said, they couldn't understand a word I was saying. And he said, all of a sudden, the power of God hit them. They fell out. We had to go get the supervisor. And said, all three of them got saved while they were digging a ditch, planting a, a water pipe. Amen. He said, people would ride by and they would be drawn in and they couldn't help it. They would pull in the parking lot, walk into church, get saved, get filled with the Holy Spirit, and then go wherever they were going. And so he had this amazing outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And, and he and a couple of other guys began to travel the country and minister and help churches to grow and to, to grow in this gift of the prophetic and grow in the gift of the Holy Spirit and begin to move in the things that he moved in. But then he gave us a word. That's what I want to talk to you about today. He gave us a word. And this was the word. He said, church, be ready. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. Boy, that's an exciting word. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. Last week, Lorraine gave us a different word. And she said, Eddie, said, I want, the Lord said to tell him it's not over until I say it's over. And I got excited. I said, yes, 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 God. It's not over till I say it's over. I got in my car. I'm riding down the street. And all of a sudden, bam. I'm going to shake everything that can be shaken. It's not over till I say it's over. Lord, does that mean the shaking's not over? And the Holy Spirit asked me a wonderful question. He said, are you perfect yet? He said, has everything that hinders love been removed from you yet? He said, do you want me to stop what I'm doing? I ask you that question. Do you want God to stop what he's doing? Because he said you're being conformed. That means pressed down, squeezed, and put together in the fashion that he likes. If you want God to keep doing what he's doing, raise your hand right now. Come on. Come on. If you want the devil to keep doing what he's doing, raise your hand. Not me. But I want God to do what he's doing. Carry me back to the scripture. Hebrews 12, 26. And he said, Eddie, I want you to watch this. He said, this is where that word came from. He said, at that time. What time? The time of the giving of the law. Okay? At that time, when, when Moses was up on the mountain, 
At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised. Turn to your neighbor and say, he keeps his promises. Yet once, once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The phrase yet once more indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful. Turn to your neighbor and say, be grateful. Turn to your neighbor and say, be grateful. Be grateful for a, receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Come on. All of a sudden, I began to read this thing, and, and I've used that thing about the consuming fire. I don't know how many times. My God is a consuming fire. My God is a consuming fire. And, and I've thought about that. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. He's saying, in other words, everything that's man-made is going to be shaken, and everything that's God-made is going to be eternal. It's when we lock into the kingdom and let go of the, of the government of the world, he said, that's when you're going to be solid in who you are. If you're being shaken by what's happening in this country, you need to grab hold of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and say, hey, God, you got this. I'm praying. I don't like what's happening to my family, my friends, my neighbors, and my country. But I know one thing. I'm involved in an unshakable kingdom that the government of heaven is not insecure. There's not going to be a coup. There's not going to be an overthrow. My God is always going to be God. Amen. And so I'm going to grab hold of what God's word says. And even in the midst of the shaking, while he's getting rid of the junk that's inside of me, he's not only getting rid of junk, but he's pouring more of him in. And so while the dross is coming out, the glory is coming in. Amen? Think about it. Think about it. Now think about this. How many of you eat food? Anybody here eat food? How many of you know that that food is nutrition to our body? How many of you know that, that when we eat food, we also must eliminate the waste product? Amen? Amen. Herman was talking about being parts of the body. I have to tell this. Y'all just have to forgive me. What do you mean, no, 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 no? <laughs> you know, if, if that's the truth, then somebody got to be the butthole, hasn't they? And you don't think that's an important part until you need it. You ought to be somebody that doesn't have one, I'm going to tell you. It's real important that we have that part. It eliminates waste. Well, God says, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to force, I'm going to force through, through the spiritual activity in your life, I'm going to force the unneeded waste away from you, and I'm going to replace that with my spirit so that my spirit is more in charge than, than the waste that you've put in there. And so I'm going to take care of all that stuff. I'm going to eliminate that. That's why he talks about a consuming fire. He said, I'm just going to burn out the impurities and I'm going to release the pure of the Holy Spirit within you. Amen? Boy, I love that whole idea of him coming in. You see, and, and then I get into this thing about, about thinking about God being a consuming fire. And normally when I think about that, I think God is, is, is an absolute God. He's full of wrath and vengeance. The Bible says I don't have to take vengeance. Vengeance is mine. And I see him when judgment is poured out and I see fire burning up and I see this consuming fire eating everything up. And how many of you know that's who God is? That's one side of the consuming fire. But there's two sides. Think about this now. 
when Israel got ready to go out of Egypt, that wall of fire was going to destroy the Egyptians, but it protected the Israelites. Now, come on. Is your God a consuming fire? Whew, then that fire will destroy our enemies, and it becomes a hedge of protection. Not only did that fire protect them, but it helped lead them. It was, a, it was fire by night and cloud by day. And they were led to the place God wanted them to be. And so when he says, I'm an all-consuming fire, he's talking about, he said, I, don't worry about what's going on in, in your life or the enemies and the different distresses. He said, because I will consume your enemies. I will protect you. I will be that, that barrier between you and the world. he goes on though isn't it it strange he said let us therefore be grateful for a kingdom that cannot be shaken let me let you in on a little secret well let me tell it to you this way let me rethink that down at CI I went down there for a conference Christian International and they were telling a story about a guy that walked in off the street and he walked up to the microphone. And he says, Thus saith God, as Moses led the animals out of the Ark of the Covenant. <laughs> and he goes on and then he said, God said, Correction. It wasn't Moses, it was Noah. How many of you know the prophetic guy missed it? It wasn't God saying it wasn't Moses. Do you think God has forgotten? Now, I'm just going to, can I just be real honest with you? You tell me, you come to me and tell me God said you to do something, I'm going to take you at your word. But don't come back to me three weeks later and say God changed his mind. If you want to do that, come back and say, I missed it. Don't blame God. God is unshakable. God does not make mistakes. God is not abdicating the throne and allowing any man to take that throne. Our God is an unshakable God. And the only thing he will ever speak is truth. And he will not change. If he could miss it in one area, he could miss it in another area. My God has never, ever missed a word that he's prophesied. He's never given a promise that will not be kept. He's never spoken a word that will not be fulfilled. My God is unshakable. And the kingdom that I operate in is an unshakable kingdom. Now, when I try to do it the world's way, it can get a little risky out there. But as long as I'm in God's kingdom and doing it God's way, then God is responsible for the outcome. And when God gets responsible for the outcome, everybody looks in terms of success and failure. The success comes when you're obedient. Failure comes when you miss God. We are results-oriented. God is obedience-oriented. 
If you want to go back, Noah failed. There wasn't anybody but his family got on the ark and he preached it for years and years and years and years and years and nobody came. If church growth were the very mark of success, Noah gets no reward. How many of you believe Noah's going to get a reward? I do, because he took a lot of ridicule. And so we have to understand what God is saying. God is unshakable. He is unflappable. And he says, you need to be grateful. You need to come in and say, thank you, God. I might not be able to count on my mother. I may not be able to count on my daddy. I may not be able to count on my brother. I may not be able to count on my sister. I may not be able to count on my preacher. I may not be able to count on my next door neighbor. But God, I can count on you because you are unchangeable and unshakable. And God is not fickle when he said he loved you. He meant he loved you. Well, I've screwed up so bad. I don't care. God hadn't changed his mind about you. He was in love with you before you were born, and he's still in love with you, and he thinks you the greatest thing he ever made. Now, shut up telling me about God's mistake because he don't make any. I'm making sense to you today. Now look what he says. He goes on and he says about this consuming fire. He, he says, be grateful. Why? Because God's a consuming fire. And he said, and let us offer to God acceptable worship. Oh, God. How many know God is jealous over your worship? Yeah. I've worshiped many things in my life. I don't look at me like you're so holy. <laughs> Were you saved? Yeah. I was. But I'm going to tell you straight up, this woman sitting in this row right here, I worshipped her. She was first, kids were second, God was somewhere down the line. Sorry if we get honest, isn't it? God finally helped change that in my heart. I couldn't. I made up my mind, though, that wasn't what it was going to, the way it was going to be. So he changed my heart. I worshiped golf. You know how I know? Where I got my identity. I never could understand. Somebody brought this back to my remembrance. I never could understand. Just, just before... Or right after Sue and I got married, I had gotten a graphite shafted driver. Now, that doesn't mean anything to you, but to me it meant a whole lot because at that time, steel was the only thing you could buy, and graphite was the newest thing on the block. And a graphite driver sold between 100 and 150 bucks. Now, today, they sell for five, six, hundred, eight hundred thousand. But anyway, but back then, that was an expensive driver. And Daddy had given me one. So I had this driver in there, and I'm going in there, and I'm, I'm worshiping golf now at this point in time. And the preacher preaches, and he gets through, and, and he says at the end of it, he said, you know, he said, man, I, I want a graphite shaft to drive her so bad I can't stand it. And God said, Eddie, give him your driver. I, you know what I said? God, that was a gift from my daddy. Give me a credit card, I'll go buy him one. He said, give him your graphite shaft to drive her. Yeah, and Sue said, don't do that. Although she'd put a solid gold lighter and a gold cigarette case up on the altar. So, I mean, you know. 
And so anyway, we go through this, and finally I give in, and I pull my driver out, and I go give it to him, and he's thankful for it. He didn't appreciate it near enough. He doesn't understand the sacrifice that I had to go through. I gave it to him. I shared it with him. Little did I know that God was laying a foundation so that I could eventually get to a place that I no longer worshiped God. I worshiped the God of all creation and Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior. And he removed that from my life. Well, Eddie, do you still love God? I love God. Do you worship God? Nope. Not even close. Many different things. But God said, I am jealous over your worship. Divided worship is not acceptable. A divided heart is not acceptable worship. It's not really important how I come here and sing the songs. Really? Then you really don't care what that fire consumes? You really don't care whether that fire stands between you and your enemies or not? I'm going to bring it into everyday terms, okay? Just so that you can understand and I can understand. Anybody ever started a fire and thrown gas on it? Isn't that the coolest thing you've ever seen in your entire life? I love it. I absolutely love it. I don't do it because of my grandchildren now, and I'm afraid their mamas would kill me if I did. But I used to set fires, and when I'd get this stuff burning, I'd wait, and then I'd get me, I'd get me big cups of gasoline, and I'd go and throw it on it and run it. And that fire would explode. And don't let me have, don't let me have a grill. <laughs> don't let me have a grill that didn't start right. Hallelujah, man, that just meant pour the gasoline on. And I'd pour that gasoline on that, boom! I go, I love that. I took my children, let me tell you what, I'd take my children and we'd pour gasoline over all the charcoal and all the wood and stuff, and then we'd stand back and flip matches at them to see if we could make it blow up. And the one that got it to blow up, that's the one that won. Children, no, those are youth. They're youth. So let me tell you, if you do that, guys, youth, you're looking at me? If you do that, don't hold on to the cup. <laughs> All right, you got my picture now. I had too much fun with that. When I come in here and I go, God, I'm bringing my heart to your altar. Lord, I'm bringing every situation I have to your altar. Lord, those things that have derailed me, I'm bringing them to your altar. Lord, I'm bringing my sin to your altar. And Lord, I'm going to worship you. And I don't care whether you like it or not. Because I'm not worshiping for your satisfaction. I'm not putting on a show for you. I'm standing before my God and I'm worshiping with all my heart. And God said, with every word of worship, it's like throwing gas on that consuming fire. It explodes, that fire of God. That song, all I did was pray, all I did was worship, 
That's what the consuming fire is all about. Because prayer and worship acknowledges that our God is God. It acknowledges that Jehovah is the Almighty. It acknowledges that Jesus has washed me and cleansed me from all unrighteousness. It acknowledges that my fate is in His hands. It, it, realize, it makes me realize that my destiny has already been set, that I have an eternal destination that no man can take away from me because I belong to my God. And he will see over me. He will protect me. And he will walk me through the midst of whatever circumstance I'm in. I got to worship him. I got to praise him. I got to magnify him. Turn to your neighbor and say, My God's a consuming fire. He will consume the opposition. Say it one more time. He will consume my opposition. I'm a winner. I'm a winner. Amen. I'm a winner. I love the fact that, that Clemson won the national championship. But you know what? Next September, they have to start all over again. When Jesus died on that cross, he settled forever. We are the champions. Amen. He's the champion and he's never going to be dethroned. He doesn't have to contend for it next year or the next year or the next year. He settled it in all of heaven. He settled it on earth. Our God is God. Our Savior is King of kings and Lord of lords. There is no doubt about it. Amen. Making any sense to you today? So part of our foundation has to do with victory. We got so focused on going through the wilderness, man. We talk about in this wilderness tough, in this wilderness tough. We forgot we were going through the wilderness and on the other side of wilderness, there was a release of glory. Amen. If you look at that word that Lorraine gave and, and all you hear is it's not over till it's over, you can think, oh God, I still got to go through this. No, take hold of that word and say, it's going to be over. Amen. God said it's going to be over. One more story and I'll quit. Y'all okay? We've done a lot today. I took two of my grandchildren to the movie yesterday. I took Malachi and Rosalie. There was just something inside of me that just was hungering to see those two little ones. Some of you grandparents know exactly what I'm talking about. Man, I just wanted to see them. And I'm sitting at that theater and I don't know whether I watched the movie or I watched them. It was a cartoon, so I really didn't care a whole lot about the movie. It was Ralph Wrecks the Internet. So. And so Wreck-It Ralph is one of my heroes now. But anyway, I'm sitting there and I'm watching them and, I'm, and I am just, I, you just can't be any more relaxed. Matter of fact, I was so relaxed I forgot I had prayer last night. And Herman texted me and said he wasn't feeling well and couldn't be here. I said, whoa, thank you, Jesus, because I forgot about it. And we had a good time. But while I was sitting there, I was thinking, you know, it hadn't been that long ago that I sat in the same theater with Sue. And David was going through, excuse me. David was, was putting us through pure hell. 
the devil, not really my son, the enemy, was putting us through pure hell. My anxiety levels were out the roof. And I remember sitting in that, in that theater and saying, Lord, please don't let my phone ring. 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 And the very second it was over, I can remember running out and opening up my phone just to make sure nothing had happened. I told you I was going to be honest with you. I'm dead cold honest with you now. I thought that hell would never end. thought it would never end. I even told God, I said, God, I can't kill myself, but if you'll take me, it'd be all right with me. And then I did it another way around. I said, God, if you don't take me, take David. Because I know he's saved. And he's tormented and tortured, and I'm tormented and tortured, and Sue's tormented and tortured, and we can't stand this. From that day till yesterday and I'm sitting there and I'm laughing and I'm watching Rosalie as she's bouncing in the seat and Malachi as he's shoving in popcorn and Coca-Cola just as fast as he can shove it in and I am laughing and I'm not wanting it to end and I stopped and I said God you are good I could have never foreseen that day from the seat I was sitting in years back. I didn't think anxiety or hell would ever quit. What, it wasn't 10 years ago. And today, I'm enjoying the gift of my grandchildren. I tell you all that to say this. I don't care what you're doing. I don't care what you're going through. The idea is you're going through. The only way we got through and the only way you'll get through is to worship your way through it. Yeah. Yeah. Worship your way through it. And you've got to be grateful. There were times I was very ungrateful to God. I was very ungrateful to God. I didn't appreciate the mess that I was in. I didn't appreciate God allowing me to be in the mess that I was in. But I worshiped. And I continued to worship, and I never stopped worshiping. And God lifted the fog and the cloud and the fear and the anxiety and the depression and anything else that the enemy would try to bring on me. God lifted. He lifted because of worship. And now he's becoming that consuming fire that stands between me and the enemy. Not between me and my son. Not between me and my son. Let me say that again. Not between me and my son. Me and my enemy. And my son is not my enemy. Southside Christian Fellowship Church. A place where you are loved, accepted, and received. A place of healing. A place of prayer. A place of hope. Please join us every Sunday morning. For service times, locations, and other information about the church, visit us at southsidechristianfellowship.net. Again, that's southsidechristianfellowship.net. Once again, thank you for listening, and may the Lord bless and keep you. May His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you 